Um, I want to begin by saying thank you um, to you, church. When I say church, I'm not just talking about leadership, I'm talking about everybody here. Um, I am uh, spoiled and blessed beyond measure that I get to serve a church where I could leave for a significant time during the summer to rest, to be refreshed, and uh, to be able to come back. I talk to my pastor friends across the country, and when I tell them how much time I leave for the summer, they're utterly shocked. They're utterly shocked. They first go, well, that's really good that your church does that for you. And then they go, you're a terrible pastor. So I don't know which one to hear, but um, I am grateful. I am thankful. Um, and I, I, I like kidding people that I'm close to. And they go, so how was your vacation? I go, I don't know. Ask me when I go on one. It's really not a vacation. Um, I wrestle with God a lot. It's, it's a time of wrestling with God for my, myself and also as I think about what it means to be uh, a pastor of this church. Um, and so there's a lot of spiritual surgery that happens. So it's painful. It's very, very painful. It's, um, it's not pleasant. Um, rarely, by the way, do I come back to church going, whoo, I'm all healed. I'm better now. I'm ready to go. I come back actually still hurting a little bit and still like, oh, and it takes God throughout the year to kind of deal with those things. Um, so that's where I'm at today, but I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to get away. Um, allows me to serve you better. Um, while I was away, two things real quick, um, and then this morning, for those of you traditionalists and those of you that are visiting today going, where was the sermon? There will be no sermon today, if that's okay. Um, uh, there will be no sermon today. I'm going to interview our, our uh, new pastor, Victor, and also uh, I wanted us to spend some time praying for Egypt. Uh, Yusuf, can you just stand up from where you are? E- Yusuf and I have become really good friends. He came from Egypt when he was about 10, 11 years old. And every time I sit with him, um, he wants to meet and, and do talk about his own personal issues. I'm like, none of that. Let's talk about Egypt. Let's talk about what's going on in Egypt. He, he doesn't mind. And we talk for like hours. You know, we sit at Urban Belly. Our noodles are getting cold. But I want to know about what's going on in Egypt. And I got to tell you, talking to him, getting to know him better, becoming good friends with him. I can't sit here and go, there's a brother in our church in whose country, I don't know if you know, Christians are being killed and churches are being burned. People are being martyred for their faith. And it's almost really covered here in U.S. media. He has relatives there, friends there. And today, I think it's perfectly appropriate as you take communion, it's an acknowledgement that we belong to a larger body of Christ. It's global. And that today as we take of the bread, we remember our brothers and sisters in Egypt as we pray. And also all over the world. So that's what we're going to do today. But during this sabbatical, I kept hearing one thing from God. Two things, actually, but one thing from God. And the one was, Peter, is new community making disciples who are making disciples? Peter's new community church making disciples of Jesus Christ who are making disciples of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, that one hurt. People say a lot of things about our church, good and bad. One of the things I realize I don't hear much is people go, oh, that church, people are living radical lives of disciples of Jesus and they're making other disciples for Jesus. And I thought, What's wrong with that picture? 
It was a gut check. Soul-searching moment for me, church. And I, I don't want to do the whole, what is the disciple? Are we doing? Like, I don't want to go down that path. But it really forced me to ask that question. I'm going, is this church making disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ who are challenging and making other followers of Jesus Christ? And the fact that everything we do in our church, small groups, Sunday services, all of our ministries, is for the purpose of us living our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, you being equipped to make other disciples of Jesus Christ. By the way, is that, is that good news to anybody? Because you know what? You know what? Um, if you're new to this church and you're here, you go, I came to this church because I heard this was cool. They do this, da, 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 all this other stuff. I want to tell you, I want to tell you this next season in our church ministry this year, probably next year and the years to come, we're fundamentally asking the question of if we are not making disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ, what are we doing? What are we here for? What are we here for? By the way, I'm asking myself this. You know, what are we here for? So as I thought about that, it opened up a can of worms, opened the can of worms, and I just really had to repent before God. Now, I share this with you, that for the last two years or so, your pastor became very distracted with wanting to grow the church. And I'll be completely honest with you in saying that not all the motives were good. I want to give glory to God. I want to advance the kingdom. No, a lot of it had to do with my own insecurities about who I am. Just being honest. My own insecurities and issues of significance and am I a good pastor, am I not? And I want to apologize to you today. I had to do a lot of soul searching through the summer and even coming back going, Peter, you vowed that you would never be one of those pastors. And the day that you did become one of those pastors is the day that you would walk away from ministry. So you could see how God going, is your church about making disciples or making disciples coming in with, oh man, and really distract them when they grow the church, how those two coincided right here, and I felt like, well, I can't use the word. I honestly had to evaluate and go, if I can't be a church, be a pastor who's pastoring a church, that would be about what really matters, which is raising up disciples of Jesus Christ, who are living their lives radically and making other disciples and leaving all the other rest of the stuff to the Lord. If I can't be one of those pastors, it's the day I walk away from ministry, really. Because I don't want to be your pastor if I'm not doing what Scripture and God calls us to do. I don't. I don't want to be in ministry. So it's in the midst of that, you guys, that God, the third piece of this was 
began to kind of affirm, and, and Michael read the letter last week, if you were here, that where we need to be is focusing on building deeper or growing deeper. And eventually God will cause, and he's going to, the Lord added to their number, the book of Acts. He's going to do his thing. But our focus, and this isn't to say that we don't care about the world, no. This is to say that we focus on what really matters. When I say building deeper, I'm talking about the fundamental mission of our church, which is making sure that you and I are growing passionately in love with Jesus Christ, that you and I are engaging in authentic community, and that you and I are living our lives in mission for the Lord, that that becomes our focus, and that we continue to do that well. And it's in the midst of that that God began to affirm that this nine-month process we've been on of hiring a staff person who would take this dream, this picture, this mission that God has given us, and help us implement it and make it a reality. And it's in the midst of that, after eight, nine months, we feel like we've found a pastor that would help us begin to build deeper so that we could make more of an impact for the kingdom. And I want to introduce you to him today. And it's going to be more than just, hey, here's Victor. Victor, say hi. Everybody say hi, Victor. We're done. And I want to introduce you to him. I want to get to know him just a little bit this morning. So, new community. We're not the most boisterous congregation, but for this once. This once. This once. As Victor comes up, will you give him a warm welcome? Yes? Yes. Victor, will you come on up, please? Oh, brother. <laughs> That's much better. Hello, in your community. Good morning. They don't talk back to you unless you ask them. Good morning. Victor, your family is here, right? Yes. Part of your family. Your lovely wife, Anna, and your daughter Hi. and her husband. Can you stand from where you are? They're standing right there, you guys, right there. okay? All right. All right, Victor. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Background, where you came from, a little bit about your family. Sure. Um, I was born in Puerto Rico. I was born in Puerto Rico um, in, 19, in 1960. <laughs> Ashley. Puerto um, My parents moved to Chicago, of all places in the world, soon after I was born. So I was in this area until I was five or six. I remember first grade here in the U.S. And then my parents moved away. This is the 60s, so there was a lot of turmoil ethnically and uh, racially. There was a lot of uh, upheaval and there was a lot of violence. And uh, my parents didn't like the cold either, so they decided to go back. And uh, so from second grade on, I lived in Puerto Rico, and uh, I went to school. I met the Lord there. I met my wife. Mm. We had our children, three children. And uh, when I was around 30, uh, we came to the, back to the U.S. through work. My undergrad work was in engineering, electrical engineering. Engineers. Shout out, engineers. Anybody? We got engineers, engineers. in the house. 
<laughs> Half y'all Asians are engineers, so raise your hand. We know you. We know who you are. Or doctors or something. Oh, that's not anyway. Go ahead. So, yeah. so after I graduated, I started working with a company called Digital Equipment Corp., which no longer exists. And uh, through that company, I had the opportunity to come to the U.S., Massachusetts, uh, under a contract. And I remember, actually, I remember uh, something really funny from our family is that my wife didn't want to come to the United States when I graduated. I had, I had five offers of employment back in 1984, and uh, only one of them was in Puerto Rico, and she told me, that's the one you're getting. We're not going anywhere else. <laughs> But under our contract, we came to the U.S. because she came okay because she was going back, but she liked it, and uh, we stayed in the United States. So we received an offer uh, a couple of years later, and we've been in the United States for since then, since 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been uh, during that all that journey. I think it's been very interesting to me to see my children grow up. Mm-hmm. From, uh, I'm very proud of each and every one of them. My eldest is Gamaliel Ortiz. He's right now a missionary to Haiti. Mm. With our, he took away our four grandchildren. Oh, that really, that really hurt. Mm. Four grandchildren in Haiti. And uh, he's working with Nehemiah Vision Ministries. Mm. And he's basically working to uh, pastor the Nehemiah Vision campus as well as to provide uh, ministries for the locals in, in, in the way of nutrition. His wife is a nutritionist. And uh, also doing, connecting the different churches in the area and providing resources for them. So it's, it's a hard ministry. As you know, Haiti is not doing very well. Um, mm. I covet your prayers for him mm. as well. Uh, hopefully one day he will be able to come by and say hi and talk to you about that ministry. Um, my eldest daughter is with me here today, Damaris Ortiz. I'm very proud of her. She is a graduate from UIC. She's an MD, a medical doctor, and she's doing her residency as a surgeon uh, for general surgery here at UIC. So very proud of her, of all her accomplishments, definitely uh, and very proud of our son-in-law who has been really supporting her all the way through. He deserves a medal. Proud, <laughs> definitely deserves a medal, for sure. And our youngest, Abigail Ortiz, uh, she is living down in Wilmington, about an hour and, uh, an hour and a half away from here. Mm. And uh, uh, she was not able to be with us today. Uh, but I also uh, covet your prayers for my children so that God will continue to use them wherever, wherever they are. Amen. So Amen. all of our fam- extended family is still in Puerto Rico. Hmm. My wife's as well as mine. I come from a very uh, big extended family. My father has 16 brothers and sisters. My mother has nine brothers and sisters. So I have cousins to the wazoo. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, most of them are in Puerto Rico still. Yeah. Uh, I have one sister only. And my sister lives in Florida, mm. and uh, she's very close to me. We, we talk on the phone regularly. Mm. Uh, we, we stay close because it's the only one I've got, so yeah. better stay close, right? So we could finally plant that church in Puerto Rico we've been talking about. What? 
I'm not kidding. Say what? <laughs> it was just, I was talking to myself. Um, tell us your conversion story, Victor. Like, how'd you come to know the Lord? Sure. That is very vivid in my mind because it, it was a very revolutionary moment for me, for sure. I grew up very, very religious. My, my father was an agnostic, but my mother was a very devout Catholic. Hmm. And she was the one who would take me to church. And, but one day came by, I mean, even served the church as an altar boy for several years. But when I, I was a preteen, 12, 13, right before I went to high school, I just want, looked up to my dad and I said, I want to be like that. He doesn't go to church. Why should I? I and I decided to kind of walk away from church and, uh, and not be so mindful of spiritual things anymore. But the reality is that I, was, I had a hunger that it was not satisfied. Hmm. And the church at the moment and that re- religious ceremony was not fulfilling it. Hmm. Uh, it was just motions and nothing was coming out of that. But one day, I have one uncle out of the 16 uh, that my father has, who lives in Illinois, and he visited us in Puerto Rico for a summer, the Mm. summer before I went to high school. And he gave me a Bible. Mm. He bought a Bible for me, and he gave it to me, and he said, read it. Start in Matthew. And uh, he talked to me a little bit about the gospel. I did not understand a word he said. It was gibberish. But I read. I took the gospel of Matthew, and I read through it. That opened my eyes to the reality of this Jesus Mm. and his life and how different it was from all the religion that I had Mm. before. So I decided at that moment that I shouldn't terminate my my search for God, but that I should look somewhere else. Mm. But I didn't know where. And interestingly enough, as I began my high school years, I met friends who were going to church good Christian friends who witnessed to me and invited me to their church. See how important it is witnessing and inviting Mm, people mm, to church. mm. Never give up on doing that. Mm. And I visited. And November of 1974, I will never forget this. The pastor was talking about heaven and hell. He was using the book from um, that is called uh, Heaven and Hell from David Wilkerson. And I realized that in that sermon that I was lost, completely lost, despite my religion, despite being kind of the good boy in the family, in the neighborhood, I was lost and I needed Jesus. Mm. And I needed him desperately because otherwise the alternative was hell. And when I was confronted with that reality, I just broke down. I remember the altar call, and that it was a small Pentecostal church, Defenders of the Faith movement, and I think there weren't, there weren't even 40 or 50 people in that place. But boy, I broke down, went up front, I cried like a baby for about an hour, and my life was transformed. Hmm. I got up from there knowing that Jesus Christ cared for me and that he wanted me to follow him. So that was a revolution. A revolution, imagine, from a Catholic family. Uh, my mother felt that I was betraying her, and the whole family turned their backs on me. It was hard being a teenager in the midst of a family that just 
kind of despised on anything that had to do with the gospel. Mm. So uh, my heart goes out for teenagers who come to the Lord and, and are on their own. Mm. But you know what? I always felt that I had a family. Mm. And it was in the church. Mm. I had a father in the church. I had a mother. Actually, I had several mm. fathers and mothers and grand, grandmas and grandpas in the church mm. who taught me the ways of Christ and modeled for me what it meant to serve and modeled for me what it meant to just have passion for Christ and for his work. Yeah. So that 19, November of 1974 definitely changed radically my life from a life that was away from God to a life to follow God. And uh, it, it, it showed, I mean, in every way, in every aspect of my life, even my family relationships, every aspect, God touched me and healed me. So you and I share something in common. Both of us come from an engineering background, right? I was an engineer or majoring in engineering at college. You were an engineer for several years before you felt a call into full-time ministry. So tell us a little bit, Victor, how you go from becoming a follower of Jesus, working as an engineer, to all of a sudden, the trajectory changing and saying, I'm going to be a pastor. How'd that happen? Uh, well, not in an easy way, for sure. I never thought of myself as being a pastor to begin with. Um, Why? I don't know, because probably they're not paid as well. And, uh... <laughs> Ouch. Okay. I'm over. Go ahead. You're okay? I'm okay. I'm, I'm, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I didn't want to become a pastor because I, I just never conceived myself as being one. Mm. Never saw myself as being a pastor of a church. I think, I remember the days when I, I, I married before I graduated from college, so my wife supported me through that journey. Graduated from college, became an engineer, started working in Puerto Rico, we're talking about since 1984 graduation until 1989 that we came to the States and continued to work. But I always was plugged into the church. And I think in some ways, I mean, serving the kingdom does, was not tied to me to being a pastor. And mm -hmm. I think that was the main mm -hmm. thing. Amen. Yeah. I didn't have to be a pastor That's to right. serve God. That's right. So I couldn't, I didn't have to think I have to become a pastor in order to serve God. Yeah. Because I was serving God as a lay person yeah. and in the church. Yeah. In many ways, as a, I was a Sunday school teacher, um, from little kids to adults. I worked as a board member in different, different government setups. I worked as um, the leader for the youth. I worked as, I even did a prison ministry mm -hmm. for a few years. Mm -hmm. So I was always involved in the church in some way of service that I felt was the right thing to do mm -hmm. and did not look at the role of the pastor as the way to serve mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. So in 1989, this was after we moved to the U.S., I got my dream job. That's why I came to the United States. I got my dream job, basically to be a design engineer. We got an awesome project, and we started working. 
And it, unbelievable, in those days, probably still, I don't know if design runs this way still, but it was a 24-7 operation. People, some people didn't even sleep. And, and according to how your clock works, some people worked in the mornings and left. Other people came in the afternoon and worked all night. It was really crazy. So, I mean, and I was, I loved it. It was, it was passionate about it. But I had a family, so I had three kids. Remember, we moved to stay with three kids. So I told my bosses, I'll come in, but you have to give me permission to get out when I need to get out. So I coached soccer, football, um, with my children, uh, playing futbolito as they were growing up, especially my son, very good soccer player. And uh, we, I would coach the team of the town where we were living. So I would leave around 2.30, go coach, go back to work, go to dinner, go back to work, sleep some, mm-hmm. and go back to work. And it was just like that. Even for service, uh, I would go to service, sometimes had to go back to work. Uh, during that time, I was running a prison ministry. I would go to the prison ministry and go back to work. And it, was, it, it worked out. I was passionate about the job I was doing. But as I served the church and worked, I realized that fulfillment... I found fulfillment more in the church than in, in my job. I felt that tug in my heart. Say, probably you should make the switch. Probably you should move away from engineering work and devote more time to the church. And that's, that was the first time that I started to think about the role of a pastor. But... To become a pastor, I, I said, I'm ill-equipped to be a pastor. I, I need to know more about the Bible, so I need to go to seminary. So that decision did not come very easily because my wife, very reluctantly, said, I married an engineer. I didn't marry a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and did not want to go to seminary. Uh, but after a few years of wrestling with that together, she finally, reluctantly still, but said, well, if that's the way we got to go, we got to go. So I resigned my job as an engineer. We packed everything. We went to seminary with three kids. Mm. And uh, we survived mm. seminary, the seminary experience. Uh, but it was, I think, one of the greatest times in, in our journey, in our lives, as God prepared us to be better servants in the church. But by the way, as I served through seminary, I also served the church, uh, still as a Sunday school teacher, still at that time was a member of the board, and always involved and plugged in the church. The church, to me, well, it's the body of Christ. It's the essential place where we need to be engaged, plugged in, uh, live out our lives through that body. Mm. As dysfunctional as it may be in many ways, as uh, some of you have discovered, uh, but still it is the body of Christ. So that transition to seminary, and eventually um, we came back to Illinois. I still got a job as an engineer, but I was now doing ministry. So I was bivocational for over 10 years, mm. doing ministry and working, um, which is something I don't recommend for everybody, but it's, it was my experience until I had the opportunity to then leave a uh, full-time job and go full-time ministry Mm. for the last seven years. Here we are. As a pastor, what have you found to be things that 
are your passions, Victor? What, what, what gets you up in the morning? What are things about God and what are things about the gospel, about the kingdom that resonates at a deep soul level with you? For sure, the gospel is very essential. The centrality of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into this world for love and, and to give his life as a sacrifice for us. That is an essential, an essential message that needs to get out. You know, you find nowadays a lot of people who are spiritual but have no idea of what Christ has done. And, and we can't divorce our spirituality from the work of Christ. That we need to proclaim, that we need to rehearse, that we need to reflect on. We need to go over it and over and over it. And if anything else, that's one of the things that church is all about, is going over and over the work of Christ for us. So that I am passionate about. I'm passionate about Scripture and understanding Scripture, the meaning of Scripture. The world in which it was written and the world in which we live today, it's very different. What does it mean when it says X, Y, Z, in that time, how can we translate that for us today? That is definitely where my heart is as well. Um, I have a passion for multi-ethnicity. I've many times have said, and I think I will continue to say until the day I die, that if I want to pastor Hispanics, I will go back to Puerto Rico and pastor a Hispanic church in Puerto Rico. I think the context of the United States and increasingly now in the world calls for a heart that is multi-ethnic, that understands the reality that there are diverse diversity of people and that we need to learn to live together. We need to learn to do life together. Kids are doing it in school, and we learn to do it in, at work. I don't know why it doesn't happen at church. And it uh, has been said that it is the most divided hour, Sunday morning, I, I really passionately believe that, that we need to work against that division. The black church and the Hispanic church and the white church and the Asian church. And, and bless them. I know that all of them have something to offer. But in the context of the United States where diversity is a reality, we need to fight for multi-ethnicity. We need to, the multi-ethnic church is definitely where it needs to be here in the context in which we live right now. Yeah. And many others. I mean, I have a passion for my kids. My kids are grown and gone. So, but I still coach them from afar and uh, try to keep in touch with them. It's Anna and I alone now. For many years, I've been telling Anna, one of these days, we're just gonna, it's just going to be you and me. What are we going to do when it's just <laughs> you and me? Well, here we are. We are enough. <laughs> Third level apartment, just the two of us, yeah. and in the city of Chicago, from all places, and uh, right here, right now, yeah. in the community. Why do you want to work here? <laughs> By the way, this is not a job interview. Like we did that already. Just want you to know, like, he's not being interviewed right now. Well, he is, but not in that way. So, in all seriousness, Victor, this is a hard church. This is a difficult church. It's an incredible church, wonderful church. I wouldn't trade this church for any church in the world. But this is a hard church. 
Why? Don't sell it like that because... Why? <laughs> Why do you want to work here? Why do I want to work here? Interestingly enough, uh, our relationship began before I was still pastoring the church in this Plains uh, Faith Alliance. And uh, I was trying to work, uh, basically do a turnaround and try to bring a mainly Asian church to be a multi-ethnic church. Not an easy thing to do. Um, So... When I looked around, what, what kind of churches do we have in the area and through contacts? Uh, I was a student at Trinity as well. Um, Dr. Cha is, was one of my professors there. Hello. And uh, through Dr. Cha, I, I met Pastor Peter and the Ministry of New Community. He actually came to Mosaic, which is an organization that Dr. Cha spearheaded at Trinity to talk about diversity and to talk about multi-ethnicity and what it means to serve God in in those contexts. And uh, he talked about new community and his passion for multi-ethnicity. And you know, at that moment, and I've said this, I picture it, here is an Asian version of myself in terms of vision and in terms of what he's trying to pursue, church planting and missions and say, I just can't believe it. And so we met briefly, but I wanted to bring my leadership team down here to witness this, to see all the different faces that are sitting here. And you especially look very beautiful when we're all singing together. And it just lights me up. So I brought the team down here, I don't know when that was, two years ago or so. And uh, I said, that's the kind of ministry we want to strive for. So I know there are many details, there are many things you're not happy about, and there are many things you're still struggling with, but I tell you, it is a great place to be. It is a great place to worship. And at that time, as we met some of your leaders, we learned the passion and, and the energy that are, there is here to make this happen, to make sure that no matter where you come from, no matter the socioeconomic background, no matter the color of your skin, we can all come and worship Christ. Amen? Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. I think that's a great thing. So that's why I want to come to work here. Just in a... This is not maybe two, three minutes or so, Victor. Um, what will you be doing, you know? What will you probably be doing as part of our staff, larger pastoral staff team, just so that the church has an idea what your role is going to be? Well, first of all, I want you to know that I come to serve you. I come to serve the church. And I believe that the service, this service will take the form of Identifying leaders, recruiting them, training them, equipping them, empowering them, so that ministries can be streamlined, new ones can be launched that will move forward the vision and the mission of a new community. I passionately subscribe to, to this vision 
being a city within the city, to be truly disciples of Christ, to be people who are not just us four and no more, but about church planting, about missions, about serving the community, social justice. I, I really think that we are on target, on paper, to make it reality. I know you're all striving to make this a reality. I just come as a resource to you to help in that striving, to see if we can streamline and implement any ministries that will help us to make uh, the church planting, the mission sending, the social justice, everything just flow using the resources that God has given us. And actually, this is one thing that I, I really want to highlight is you have a great blessing of having so many people with the same heart and same mind to serve God in a multi-ethnic church and to want to plant other churches and to send missionaries. You know, I have served in many a churches and attended many a churches that have no desire of doing this. And I cannot understand it, but there are many, many out there. And the other thing is I have served and witnessed many churches that are just so small that don't have the resources to be able to do it. And here you are. You are strong in what God has given you. Boy, the potential to do what you have done so far is a great blessing and what you are able to do in the future. And I pray that God will grow this church to levels that will make it such a resource of a church. That church planting will be just part of our nature. It will be part of who we are. That we, in a blink of an eye, will be able to, yep, we have no problem in doing that because we have the heart, the mind, and we have the resources in place. So rejoice in the fact that you have these resources that God has given you. Be good stewards of these resources for a great cause, a cause that I believe is part and parcel of the gospel, because the gospel cannot be divorced from multi-ethnicity. It has to be there. Every tongue, every tribe, people from every nation, just worshiping God, praying together, worshiping Him together. That's what it's all about. So, among other things, I'm sure that I will serve in any capacity that I can to, to move forward the vision and mission of the church. Whatever you need me. Whatever you need me for, I'm here. Victor, how can we support you? What are ways that we can support you? Definitely, I will ask your prayers for our family, for my son in Haiti as he is engaged in ministry there, for my daughter as she goes through her residency. You know how grueling those MDs around here know how grueling that can be uh, for strength and for our youngest. Um, and also I pray for, for us, for Anna and myself, pray for us that as we as a couple now in different stage of life come to serve you, that we will be able to integrate with you, be able to find our niche and, and be able to serve you as best we can. 
Honestly, it is our heart to pour ourselves out to you uh, as best we can. So I ask your prayers for us to be able to do that in, in a wise way, in the most efficient way that will benefit all of, the whole body of Christ. Thank you, Victor. Well, we welcome you to our church and uh, look forward to getting to know you better and having you get to know us better. Um, yeah. Um, let's give Victor another warm welcome. Thank you. Today we're reminded of all the ways in which you are at work, not just here in our city, but all over the world. And my prayer, God, this morning is that throughout any time in this service, if any of us heard you in regards to Colombia, in regards to Egypt, if any of us heard you clearly and loudly to do something, to act, to respond in some way, to go, to pray, to support, to write, to act, to respond, God, that we would be obedient. We'd be obedient to that voice. We would be obedient to that voice. That we wouldn't shrug it off. We wouldn't silence it. We wouldn't just cast it aside. Help us to be obedient to the ways you spoke to us today. And may our life, as we get up tomorrow, be a radical response to who you are and what you have done for us in your enormous love for us. And until we meet each other again, guide us, protect us. Lead us, empower us, go before us, go behind us, go beside us. For the sake of your glory, sake of the gospel, for the sake of your kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday.